Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Apostle Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now think of the lion searching out his prey. He crouches down, sneaks up to it, and all the while the zebra or deer is unaware of its fate. And then, at the last second, the lion pounces from its cover, attacks and devours its prey. This is, an ele- this is elegant awe-striking. It is a great visual if you're watching it on YouTube in the leisure of your own home. But if you were in the position of the lion's prey, it would be an image of fear and imminent death. Yet in St. Paul's visual, we are the prey. We are the prey of the devil whom is roaring around like a lion. The devil is looking for someone, anyone, and everyone to devour. He wants to separate you from the pack and get you alone in the same way that the lion seeks to get animals that have strayed from the herd. Those animals are the easiest to get. And let's face it, even if we have been at church every week, there are days where we have strayed from the rest of God's people. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way. And when we do, the devil is right there. He is no respecter of persons or their jobs. He will take a ruler of the world, a pastor seasoned in years, a student away from his or her childhood home, and he will take you if you give him the chance. Unlike the lion, our devil, he has an endless appetite, and he will devour as many as he can. In our scripture lesson, the devil chose to devour King David. King David was the leader of God's people on earth in the Old Testament period. God once said of David that he was a man after his own heart. David's relationship with God was unlike most people in the Old Testament period. David had the Holy Spirit as the people of the church have today. David was allowed to know God's word and deliver God's word to the people. David wrote most of the Psalms in the Bible as the Holy Spirit inspired him. And more than all of this, Jesus would come from the very lineage of David. And Jesus would be the king to sit on David's throne to make it so that David's kingdom would have no end. You would think that David would not be susceptible to the roaring lion that is the devil. But, if you were to think that, you would be terribly wrong. It all started in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servant with him and all Israel. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now see, David was a warrior king. Through David, God defeated the enemies of his people. This was David's calling. 
It was a calling that started out as he was a young boy going up against the, his enemies, going, at, going up against the giant of Goliath. Through David, God defeated the enemies of his people. This was David's calling. But this year, David decided to separate himself from his calling, the same calling that made him so dependent on the Lord. And this separation made David vulnerable to the devil's pouncing attack. David didn't even see him coming. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and and one said, Well, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David, upon finding out that she was married, decided to leave her alone. No, that's not what happened. David sent for her. He slept with her. Even knowing that she was another man's wife, he slept with her. But he probably thought, well, I didn't hurt anybody, and I won't do it again. Well, he didn't have to do it again. Once was all it took, for Bathsheba conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. What? What would the people think? I am a man of God. I am supposed to be leading his people. This can never get out or I will be destroyed. I will be ruined. Okay, stop. Get a hold of yourself. You can take care of this. Let's just stop and think. So David tried to make it so that no one would see the teeth marks that the roaring lion, the devil, had placed on his conscience. He tried to cover his wounds, his sins, with something other than the blood of Christ. He tried to cover them with lies and deceit. Little did he know that these lies were really the teeth of the, of the devil sinking deeper and deeper into his soul. The lies that David used are not much different than the lies that we use. They may have taken on more dramatic forms than most of us, but if we look closely, we can see our reflection in the pages that portray David's sin. David tried to cover up his sin first by calling Uriah home from battle. He thought, if Uriah just goes, if Uriah just goes home, and sleeps with Bathsheba, everything would be just fine. Everyone would just think that the baby was his. A little early, perhaps, but no one would ask any questions. I will be off the hook, and God's people will be better off. They would be better off not knowing anyways. Because what would they think if they really knew? It would ruin their faith. Well, David's plan didn't work. Uriah would not go and sleep with his wife until all the troops could do the same. This infuriated David, 
and the devil's teeth sunk deeper. What can I do, David thought to himself, because he dared not confide his sin with anyone else. He felt alone. David's guilt was maddening. He had, got, he had, he had to get out from under this sin. But how? His next choice only drew him further under sin's death grip. He decided to frame Uriah's death in battle. He not only decided to do that, do this, he did it. And with this setup, David unintentionally killed many other soldiers besides just Uriah. A lot of families lost their husbands, lost their fathers, all in an effort to cover the sin of the man who was supposed to be a man after God's own heart. Now it appeared as though David was in the clear. He had killed Uriah through an elaborate scheme. He had married Bathsheba, and he would raise their child. It was over. Nobody ever had to know. The only thing was, David knew. Bathsheba knew. And nobody keeps their mouth shut in the king's court. The people knew. But worst of all, God knew. From the outside, as we look at David's actions, we see a man who seems to have no remorse. Yet when we read his words as listed in Psalm 32 and 51, we see a man in deep distress. In his own words, David recounted, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Then God approached David through his word, as given through Nathan the prophet. Now Nathan was like David's pastor, and David and Nathan had kept their relationship intact the whole time that David was doing all of these things. And as far as David knew, Nathan had no idea about the sin that he was dealing with. But then, God sent a word to David through Nathan, and it blew the lid off of everything. In a sermon, in a sermon meant for one, God exposed David's sin, and David had nowhere to hide. The jig was up, and the teeth marks of the devil, which deeply wounded David, they had been exposed. David thought that their exposure would mean his death, but he would soon find out that the exposure of his sin would mean new life. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. What just happened there was a healing miracle. Listen to how David describes what just took place in that short Bible verse. David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now when we look at this from the viewpoint of history, we see David in a private confession with his pastor. David's sin was definitely a sin that he knew and felt in his heart. And when David confessed his sins, Nathan was present. And when David heard the word of forgiveness, it was from the mouth of his pastor. Yet it is interesting to note that when David recounts the event, he does not even mention his pastor. He mentions confessing to God. He mentions God forgiving him. The comfort he received may have passed through the lips of his pastor, but it came from Jesus' passion. David's comfort was only made possible because of Jesus' payment on the cross. David received that word of comfort from Christ's atonement. Now David did have lots of earthly consequences from his sin, but he would not die eternally. He had eternal life because of the forgiveness that was given to him from the cross of Christ through the mouth of Nathan. When we sin, we may have earthly consequences as well. But Jesus' death and resurrection has taken away our eternal consequences. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, do you need to confess your sins to a pastor in order to be forgiven like David? The answer is absolutely not. Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins, even those we are not aware of as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. There are things that eat away at us like the things that ate away at David. Each of us may have different things that we struggle with, but they all stem from the same thing, sin. The things that David confessed did not shock Nathan, and there is nothing that you or anyone else could say that would shock a pastor today. The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We are all tempted in the same ways. I personally have used confession and absolution for myself. I go to other pastors when I have things that are bothering me. And I have served God's faithful with this service whenever I have been asked. That is why you called me and God sent me to proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Now God's forgiveness does not take away earthly consequences as we said before, but it does give you new life and the arrows of the devil, they no longer make you afraid. On my ordination day, 
myself and all pastors were asked this, Will you faithfully instruct both young and old in the chief articles of Christian doctrine? Will you forgive the sins of those who repent? And will you promise never to divulge the sins confessed to you? And I and other Lutheran pastors have answered, I will with the help of God. No matter what is talked about in private confession, it never leaves that room. My pastor told me that he would never bring up anything that was confessed there. As far as he was concerned, the sin was as far as the east is from the west, and it was buried with Christ. That is my policy as well. And it may sound weird, but I and other pastors, we are just another tool that God uses to give you a word of comfort from Christ's atonement no matter what your sin. Don't let the teeth marks of the devil lead to your death, as all sin does. Recognize that Jesus already died that death. Expose your sin with confession and receive healing for your sin in absolution. And now the peace that surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until he returns for you.